Welcome to the NSCA Coaching Podcast, Season 6, Episode 7. There has to be a certain element of education as well as uh, a certain level of just having fun because at the end of the day, you want to help develop those middle school athletes to develop a love for the game, but more importantly, develop a love for the process. This is the NSCA's Coaching Podcast, where we talk to strength and conditioning coaches about what you really need to know, but probably didn't learn in school. There's strength and conditioning, and then there's everything else. Welcome to the NSCA Coaching Podcast. I'm Eric McMahon. Today, we're joined by Elton Crockren, the strength and conditioning coordinator for Randolph Field School District in San Antonio, Texas. Coach Crock, welcome. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Yeah, uh, we got a chance to connect at the 2022 NSCA Coaches Conference a few weeks back in San Antonio, Texas. Enjoyed your hands-on session leading our attendees through some, some movement, and uh, we'll get to talking about that a little bit, but I want to let you kick things off. Just tell us your story in the profession. How'd you get into strength and conditioning? Yeah, so thank you for having me. Um, I got started in strength conditioning uh, back in 2014, I played uh, college football at Abilene Christian University. And, uh, I was a physical therapy major. Uh, that's what I majored in. And, um, you know, I knew I wanted to work with either athletes or just people, something hands-on. And um, got to my senior year of college with my 3.0 GPA and realized I wasn't getting into physical therapy school. So I had to uh, kind of pivot into another direction. And so uh, I went to grad school at Texas State University. And while there, uh, I'll never forget, I shot an email to the strength and conditioning staff at Texas State in, uh, I think it was about September 2013, and like a lot of people, I didn't hear anything back, <laughs> um, and then I got a random email in December um, from Coach Livingston, uh, basically saying, hey, come by the weight room, we'd love to meet you, and I went over there and met with uh, Coach Livingston and Coach Cundiff, the head strength coach there at the time, and they basically told me like, hey, look, if you want to come an intern, you can work as many hours as you would like. Um, we'd love to have you. You played college football. The guys would love you. And so uh, in January 2014, I started off as a uh, strength and conditioning intern for Texas State football. Uh, and when I got started there, I started learning the ropes as far as, uh, you know, what strength and conditioning was from a coaching perspective, because as a player, you just kind of you, know, you just play ball, right? And then um, as a coach, you start to learn that, hey, there's strength and conditioning certifications and there's conferences and things like that. And so uh, I was fortunate that the uh, paid intern that was there uh, was like, hey, I'm going down to San Antonio to get my USAW weightlifting certification if you want to come. Uh, so I went with them and, you know, got that certification. And I worked at Texas State for about eight months. Um, and, you know, like a lot of people, I was in grad school, uh, between school, coaching, and a little bit of partying here and there, I decided I need to take some time off of school. So uh, I moved back to San Antonio, and I started working at uh, or interning at UT San Antonio, and that was my first opportunity to work with, uh, you know, women's sports. So I started working with women's basketball, softball, women's tennis, um, also helped with men's golf and, and other uh, Olympic sports, and that really, you know, kind of lit the fire uh, even more for me because I realized that, you know, there's, there's, there's more than football strength and conditioning out there. And so uh, I was fortunate to be at UTSA from the fall of 2014 until the spring of 2015. And that's when I really started learning about graduate assistant positions and things like that. And the importance of, you know, continuing my education specifically in uh, strength and conditioning. And so 
Uh, I was fortunate to get a graduate assistant position back in Abilene at Hardin-Simmons University. And I was there for two years getting my master's degree in kinesiology. And after my first year at Hardin-Simmons, I went and uh, did a summer internship at IMG Academy. So I drove from Abilene to San Antonio, home for you know a couple of weeks, and then I drove from San Antonio all the way out to Bradenton, Florida, and spent the summer there and learned a lot and worked with a lot of different uh, levels of athletes. Whether it was the you know national football team that they had at the time to um, you know campers that were ten years old, and again, this was these were all first for me. And so uh, after that, in the uh, this was summer of 2016, I went back to Hardin Simmons. Uh, finished my last last year of school there. And then, uh, like a lot of people, had a master's degree, had my uh, NSCA, CSCS, uh, and no job. So um, I was fortunate that IMG was like, hey, you want to come back here? You can come back here. We might have some opportunities in the fall, but at the very least, you can come here in the summer. And, you know, I was young. I was 26 years old. So I was like, hey, look, I, I enjoyed living in Florida. So I moved back to Florida and I was sleeping on a friend's air mattress, working at IMG Academy uh, from pretty much end of May up until July. And then I got my first job at uh, Marshall University in Huntington, West Virginia. And so I moved from beautiful Bradenton, Florida, beach was 10 minutes away to, uh, you know, Huntington, West Virginia, where the first week of October, we had like eight to 10 inches of snow. And I realized this wasn't for me. And so uh, I was at Marshall University from the fall of 2017 until May of 2018. Uh, probably the best and worst decision I made. I quit the job and moved back to San Antonio without any opportunities. And was very fortunate to find a uh, assistant position at University Incarnate Word in San Antonio, uh, assisting with football, working with men's and women's golf, which I'd already worked with at Marshall. So I just strolled into that role, living at home, working at uh, University Incarnate Word. And I was there from July of 2018 until um, January of 2020, where I was able to get the my first head job as the head strength and conditioning coach at Texas A&M University in Kingsville, which is a Division II school about 45 minutes south of Corpus Christi uh, here in Texas. And so um, took that job. I was there for a little over a year, staff changes and everything. And I was one of the ones to get cut. And so uh, I tell people that's probably one of the best things that happened because that forced me to look at other opportunities and other avenues. And so uh, I went and got my emergency teacher certification in the state of Texas, um, got certified. And that was right before the pandemic happened in 2020. Um, and so that was kind of you know, one of the silver linings of the pandemic for me was that uh, everything was shortened as far as like the requirements and everything and observation hours. So I knocked out my emergency teacher cert in like two and a half months, took my test, got my observation hours in everything. And so um, me and my fiance found out we were having a baby. And so we were basically able to leverage moving back to San Antonio where I'm from to get me a job at her school district. So I was able to get my emergency teacher cert within two and a half months. And then uh, four months later, get my first full-time teaching job. Um, and so then I took that job. I was teaching middle school PE. I was a head girls powerlifting coach. And then with my knowledge and experience, I helped uh, coordinate strength and conditioning for you know different teams. And then we knew after that year with our son turning one that you know we were wanting to move back to San Antonio. And then 
Uh, I was on Twitter one day, saw that Randolph Field ISD was hiring a middle school PE coach and a PE teacher, and I applied for the job, and within a week, I was offered it, and uh, basically went into the interview and told them, you know, my goal is to become a head high school strength and conditioning coach, and they told me, well, you know, you definitely will, you know, it's possible here, um, and I was like, all right, I was sold, and so uh, I took that job at Randolph back in uh I got accepted the job last year in May, and I started working there in July. And uh, I'm very fortunate that my athletic director, Coach Ortiz, was like, hey, look, you know, you have a lot of knowledge, experience, and strength and conditioning. Um, if I gave you strength and conditioning program for, you know, our pre-athletics, which we just started last year with our sixth graders and our middle school athletic period and, you know, high school boys and girls, like, what would you do? And uh, I just learned over the years to, to always stay ready. And so I already had a plan in mind. So I was like, hey, look, uh, I'll be right back. Let me go to my office and get my plan and printed it out for him and showed him like, this is what I would do day one. And this is what we would hope to achieve by the end of the semester. And he was like, looks good. It's your show. You're running it. And so now I've essentially uh, uh, created the head strength and conditioning or the strength and conditioning coordinator position at Randolph and, you know, we'll be getting paid for that. And so um, I, I teach one PE class uh, a day, seven, eighth grade PE, and then I'm in four uh, athletic periods from, you know, my first period is sixth grade pre-athletics. And then uh, fourth period is middle school boys athletics, fifth period is high school boys athletics six periods, middle school girls athletics, and then seven periods, high school girls athletics. So um, I was able to create that position and next year I'll be getting paid for it. And that'll be my, my sole position is basically coordinating strength and conditioning for every, every athlete from sixth grade through, through 12. So uh, I'm very fortunate to be back in San Antonio where I'm from and very fortunate to, uh, you know, have all the knowledge and experience to kind of help me, uh, you know, create this position that, you know, I'll be sliding into officially, uh, this summer. That's, that's outstanding. It sounds like you've really carved out a great position for yourself mm -hmm. in that school district. And, um, I think we can all connect on the fact that there's a lot of resources that are poured into high school sports in the state of mm -hmm. Texas. And, um, it's, it's a, it's a hotbed for, obviously football, but we do see a lot of growth in high school strength and conditioning in that area. And I think what you shared really connects us with the path of maybe how that can happen. You came in, you had a lot of college experience, and now you get to really apply that to the middle school and high school population mm -hmm. that maybe you never thought you were going to work with. Correct. Uh, Talk about that from a from a programming standpoint and what you learned just being involved with physical education. Mm -hmm. uh, speak to the developmental process to really onboard student athletes into strength yeah. and conditioning and uh, share your thoughts on that. Yeah, um, so I'm very fortunate that my athletic director is very pro strength and conditioning. Um, he's also very humble and very understanding of like, hey, look, I'm not the expert in strength and conditioning. You are. So uh, I, I am probably one of the few coaches in the state of Texas who athletic director is basically saying what Coach Croc says goes in the weight room. And so I don't have any conflict with coaches wanting to do different things. So it definitely makes the job easier from that standpoint. Um, we basically have a policy where in-season teams live twice a week, off-season teams live three times a week. So every day somebody's in the weight room and I'm the one coordinating that. 
so that that's definitely been a, a huge blessing because I don't have to worry about scheduling teams and convincing, you know, uh, boys basketball to come lift or, you know, volleyball to come lift. It's just, it's coming from the top, from the athletic director that, no, you're going to lift on these days. And so that's made that transition easier. And then this is the first year that they um, implemented pre-athletics. So we have our sixth graders um, who are in a pre-athletics class that is basically designed to expose them to the different things that they'll be um, getting when they get into seventh grade. And so uh, one thing that I took away from PE is that there has to be a certain element of education as well as uh, a certain level of just having fun because at the end of the day, you want to help develop those middle school athletes to develop a love for the game, but more importantly, develop a love for the process because I think a lot of people skip out on um, falling in love with the process, right? Everybody just wants to show up on game day and play, but there's days and weeks and even months that lead up to that season starting. And so um, I, you know, working as a PE teacher definitely assisted me in, in, in creating just different fun activities and things like that. And, uh, you know, I'll never forget with my pre-athletics when I was teaching them just how to jump and land, 35 boys in my class, I said, hey, by a show of hands, who's ever been taught how to jump? And out of 35 boys, I maybe had three or four raise their hands. So then that really put it into perspective that, nobody is teaching these kids how to function in their sport. Nobody's teaching them how to run. Nobody's teaching them how to jump. Nobody's teaching them how to land. And so if you're 11 or 12 years old, you've never been taught how to jump. Well, you're going to become 13, 14, 15. And then you're going to be that 16, 17 year old athlete who every time they jump, they have, you know, severe knee valgus or every time they land. And it's like, well, nobody's ever taken the time to teach them how to jump and how to land. And so um, from a programming standpoint, I tell people all the time, like programming for high school, especially middle school athletes is the easiest thing in the world because they don't need much. They just need, you know, the fundamentals. And for me, from a programming standpoint, I'm grounded in, we're going to squat, we're going to hinge, we're going to push, we're going to pull, right? We do those four things, we're going to get better. And we're talking about athletes with a, you know, almost like a negative two-year uh, training age because they may have been playing basketball since they were in third grade, but nobody's taught them how to jump. It's just jump and get the rebound and that's it. So a lot of the kids have a, you know, a zero training age and I just bring them in and say like, hey, we're just going to work on jumping. And, you know, the kids might get bored with it, but then you kind of take the carrot and dangle it in front of them and say, hey, when we master how to jump, then we'll transition to other drills. And then the PE element comes into fact where it's like, okay, we're teaching you how to jump and then we're going to turn it into a game. Who can broad jump the furthest, right? And then you just, you make it loud, you make it fun, make it competitive. Okay, you five jump the furthest. Okay, now you five are going to compete against each other. And, you know, with kids, nobody likes coming in last. Um, everybody wants to, to be first or be the best. So it's just, simplifying it for that age group, especially for the sixth graders where, hey, look, we're going to come, we're going to work, I'm going to teach you these skills, but at the end, we're going to play a game. So they're not necessarily, oh, rushing through the fundamentals and stuff because they know, hey, if we don't master these fundamentals in this 40 minute period, then we're not going to play the game. So now they're a little more in tune with the coaching and everything. And then as a coach, you just have to, you know, know your audience, right? You're dealing with sixth graders. A lot of the sixth graders are more like elementary school kids than they are like seventh and eighth graders as far as just 
maturing, grabbing, touching each other, you know, you got to police that, but they're raw. And that's what makes the job fun because I look at my sixth graders and I told them, you guys are going to be the best athletes that come here, come through here because you're getting strength and conditioning in sixth, seventh, eighth grade on top of summer strength and conditioning camp. And then you're going to become a freshman where now you're growing, you're getting bigger, you're putting on muscle, you're getting faster, you're seeing the results from the training. And now you're going to look up as a 17 going on 18 year old with five years of strength and conditioning. And you're going to be probably the best group of athletes that we've had come through this school compared to, you know, and I told the sophomores and juniors like, Hey, you're only going to get, you know, one or two years with me because you're going to graduate high school. Um, it, it's just the reality of it. So it's kind of it's similar to college in that, you know, you go to college, you redshirt, you play four years, you're in college for four and a half years, you know, getting four years of off season and summer conditioning. So my sixth graders essentially are like my redshirt freshmen, where by the time they're juniors going into their senior year, like they're going to be some pretty great and efficient movers. Um, and some of them get that they can see the bigger picture. And those are the ones that, you know, participate in sports outside of school. And then some of them are kind of just young, immature, and they're learning. And as time goes on, they'll either get that concept or they won't. But at the end of the day, we try to, to educate them on, hey, look, I know you're bored doing snap downs and counter movement jumps, but have you ever done this before? No. Do you think you're great at it? Oh, I'm okay. Okay, well, let's work on it until we get great, right? And then, like I said, we incorporate different games and things like that. So um, it's been a blast just programming because the programming is the easiest for the middle school kids because they don't need much. Um, and the programming has been easy at the high school level because, you know, they might have done things a certain way. Um, but like my, my AD said, he was like, you know, you brought a level of credibility where hey, this guy has done this at the collegiate level. This guy has been a head strength coach before. And anytime you tell kids like, oh, I played college ball, they're instantly eating up every word that you say. So from a strength and conditioning standpoint, when the kids hear like, oh, I've been, you know, and I work at, at Randolph where 80% of our kids are military kids. So we have a lot of kids that come from all over the country, even all over the world, you know, Germany, Korea, wherever the case may be. So when kids hear like, oh, I, I uh, worked at IMG Academy. Oh, I lived in Florida, right? They can kind of relate to those things. Or I worked up in Huntington, West Virginia. Oh, I lived in Virginia, that's close. Right. And so, um, like my AD said, just bringing a level of credibility um, to the to the program that we're building. And then the kids just, you know, when they hear like, oh, you played college. It doesn't matter where you played. You play college ball. I'm all ears because I want to play college football. Or I want to play, you know, in seventh grade or eighth grade or I want to play varsity ball or whatever the case may be. And even from, you know, the girl sports, they understand like, OK, this coach has played beyond high school. So they understand the process and the grind. And I, and I tell them like, Hey, these are things that we did in that I did in college. And they're like, Oh man, we're getting college level training. And it's nothing, it's nothing special, you know, but just the organization and everything for them, they just instantly kind of buy in. So um, it's been a great transition and I've had a lot of success and a lot of buy-in with, with everybody from, like I said, from sixth grade, all the way up to, you know, my high school seniors that are like, man, how come you couldn't have got here? two, three years ago. Right. And I'm like, I'm chasing that, that tale of college football and, 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 and college strength and conditioning, but you know, I'm here now. So let's make the most of it. Yeah. You really have the opportunity to impact lives in this role, you know, from a, from a young age, 
that strength and conditioning coaches by and large haven't had the opportunity to work with. Uh, and I really like the comparisons with physical education because I think we all know the struggles of physical education, you know, across mm -hmm. the United States and in how that has changed over the years and strength and conditioning really is an avenue that pro provides support to physically educating our youth and our, our kids to live a more, more fulfilling life that includes activity, whether that includes elite sport or not, not everybody's going to play in college. Not everybody's going to play professionally, but strength and conditioning from a health standpoint, there's so much value to it. And you're instilling that not just at the high school level, but at the middle school level. And I just think it's so cool what you're doing and how, how you really get to emphasize fundamental movement patterns, basic movement skills that sometimes we take two for granted in this field that yeah. really are the foundation of what we do. Um, this is related to what you talked about in San Antonio at our coaches mm -hmm. conference. Um, if you would take us through that session, what for anyone that didn't make it and uh, mm -hmm. share your experience, how'd you like the conference? Yeah, so the conference was great. Um, I love just representing my school and representing my city of San Antonio. Um, the title of my presentation was called Rhythm and Flow. Um, and really, it's just a catchy name, right? Because you talk about rhythm, um, repeated movement pattern, or coordinated repeated movement patterns, right? That's strength and conditioning, right? Um, you talk about flow, just being able to uh, take your warm up and translate it to the workout, translating, you know, what you're doing in the weight room to drills that you're doing on the field, taking the drills that you're doing on the field and translating them to your sport. Um, that's where the, the, the name rhythm and flow. But if I called it, you know, balancing coordination for sport, a lot of people would kind of be like, yeah, I don't know about that. So just <laughs> calling it rhythm and flow, people are a little more intrigued by it. And so uh, I started off by, you know, going over our warm up, which at our school, and this just goes back to, you know, building that program, we don't call it a warm up, we call it an activation. And part of the reason why we call it an activation is because I feel like warming up has taken a negative meaning in terms of, Ask a 15, 16 year old kid or even a college kid, hey, go warm up and just watch what they do, right? You'll be lucky if they spend five minutes doing something. A lot of them, they'll go hit a couple cross body arm stretches, some toe touches, maybe some body weight squats and some push ups. If you're lucky, coach, I'm ready to go. And you're like, well, we're hitting, you know, five triples at 80%. I don't think that's going to do it. Um, and so what we do at Randolph is like, hey, we, we got to get our activation in, right? And it's it's nothing special. It's just a, you know, heart rate warm up, doing some type of quick feet drills, right? Get that blood pumping. And then we go into our ground-based stuff with our active straight leg raises and our glute bridges for the glutes and hamstrings. And then we flip over, get our shoulder taps to get our core shoulder mobility and everything in. And then we work on uh, movement patterns like our push-ups and like our squats. I mean, being at the college level, there's college kids that struggle with push-ups and struggle with just body weight squats. So, if, you know, your, your college kids are struggling with it, then there's definitely a need for it at the middle school and high school level. So every day that our kids come to train, they're doing their activation, they're getting in some type of hip hinge, they're getting some type of push-up, they're getting some type of squat movement, movement pattern, and we're working on that every single day. And that's one of those nuances where, yeah, it's boring it's not flashy but if you're learning to squat and you're working on your squat movement every single day 
um, you're going to see some success sooner than later. And so uh, I started by, you know, teaching how we do our activation. And being that I'm at the uh, high school, middle school level, we have 50 minute periods. We have to give them about six, seven minutes to get dressed. And then we have to give them about six, seven minutes uh, to get dressed for their next class. So you're talking about at a 50 minute period, you only have about 38 to 36 minutes to train, right? College level, hey, your lift is from one to two, you got a full hour. And if you go over, as long as they don't have class, no harm, no foul. So you're talking about how can you maximize a 36 minute training session for a novice athlete or an athlete with a, you know, zero training age. And so I developed the activation. It takes four minutes max. And one thing I like about it is, you know, coaches love, you know, the mental toughness and discipline and things like that. Well, with our activation, we emphasize like, hey, when we say everybody's down on their back, it's a race to be the first person down on your back, right? Anything slower than that, hey, stand back up. We'll do it again until we get it right. But if everything is done correctly, it's a three and a half, three, three minute, 45 second warm up um, that allows us to then train for 32 minutes, um, you know, maybe 33 minutes. And so uh, I started with the activation from there. Uh, I talked about our snap downs and everything. Cause again, I mean, I'm looking at my sixth graders out of 35, you know, you're talking about three or four out of 35 of them have been taught to jump. Well, if they don't learn to jump in sixth grade, they're not going to learn it in seventh grade, eighth grade. So our high schoolers were taught snap downs, double leg snap downs, single leg snap downs. And then from there, we transition into our vertical jumps um, and just teaching them just different weight room cues. Hey, land in that athletic position, right? That snap down position is an athletic position, you know, chest, shoulders, slightly over the toes, slight bend in the knees, pushing the hips back you know, hands drawn back, elbows bent, um, that position you can change directions in, you can jump in, you can land in. So just teaching those foundational movements and getting that, you know, what I call like weight room terminology in and embedded into everything we do will then transfer into the weight room. So once we teach the activation and the snap downs, we go into the weight room. So now if we're doing our depth drops or even if we're just setting up to do our clean pools, hey, you need to be in that athletic position, right? Because that athletic position isn't you know, shoulder width apart, it's probably hip width apart or slightly wider than hip width. And if you talk about biomechanics and, you know, maximizing vertical jump, well, if your feet are too wide or too narrow, you're not going to be able to jump as high. So just teaching them the snap down, jumping and landing mechanics, and then transitioning into the weight room. Hey, you need to be in that athletic position when we're doing our RDLs, when we're doing our clean pools. Hey, you need to be in that athletic position when you're doing your bent over row. So Everything that we're doing in the weight room has symmetry from, you know, the activation to the snap downs to our plyometrics that we do to our landing mechanics to our exercises. And then we take it a step further. And that's that flow where now we're going to go outside and, you know, maybe we're doing our change of direction um, where we're doing the grid, which I got from from Kyle Keese up at, at Denton Geyer. Um, and, you know, now we're working on just 45 degree cuts, which you know, at, at the time, the kids aren't thinking about it in terms of sport performance, but it's like, hey, if you're dribbling a basketball, you plant that right leg crossover to the left. It's no different than if you're doing a 45 degree cut where that right foot is forward, chest and shoulders come slightly forward, knee, you know, for a split second, maybe goes over the toe and then boom, you're loading up that outside foot, pushing off, changing, changing direction, going to your left. That's just like a crossover in basketball. 
That's just like a, a, a jump cut or cutting in football, right? That's just like in soccer, passing the ball from the right leg to the, to the left leg, right? And, and changing direction. So now we go from, you know, what I call field work, which is just like, you know, speed training, change of direction, agility and all that. Um, now we're taking those drills and we're hammering them home. And for the kids and especially the younger kids, hey, what does this look like? Does this, does this look like I'm dribbling the ball in my right hand and then boom, I'm crossing over to the left? Oh yeah, it does look like that. Okay, so now we're in the grid, working basic 45 degree cuts, emphasizing, loading up that front leg, cutting off that outside foot. And now the kids are able to see like, you know, oh, okay, like what we're doing drill wise translates directly to the sport that I play, right? Oh, you play baseball? Okay, cool. Well, when you're, you know, trying to steal from first to second, you got to load that, 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 that outside leg and you got to drive, open up that hip, turn and run. Well, it's no different than when we're doing our grid and, you know, maybe we're sprinting forward and then we're lateral shuffle to our right. It's the same thing. And now the kids are like, oh, it's like the light bulb clicks for them. And they're like, okay, like these drills are the same movements that we use in sport. And so I don't call it, you know, a sport specific lift or a sport specific exercise it's a sport specific movement right and so once we start teaching those foundational movements and incorporating them into the drills that we do that's when you really see that buy-in go up and those kids all of a sudden are thinking like oh, okay what we're doing like from an activation standpoint to a snap down plyometric standpoint to a weight room standpoint to a field work standpoint all adds up to help make me a better insert sport here. Um, and so that's pretty much what rhythm and flow was about and how I, and it, and it was another way that I, um, you know, presented to my AD, like, hey, what are we doing here? You know, well, this is our activation. This is why we do it. All right, cool. Check, check the box there. What are we doing for our snap downs, plyometrics? Okay, cool. Check the box there. What are we doing from a weight room standpoint? Okay, cool. Check the box there. What are we doing when we do our drills outside? Okay, cool. Check the box there. So now from an athletic director standpoint, it's like, okay, Coach Croc knows what he's doing. He has a reason and, you know, he has his why. Um, and so he just sits back and lets me do my thing. And then it also helps safeguard me and that, hey, look, everything that we're doing has a bigger purpose, which is ultimately a sport performance. And so um, I did a bunch of drills that, you know, I do with my athletes and then uh, another thing I've learned, too, is just when you add a tennis ball to a drill, it, it just it, the kids get mind blown and they're like, oh, my gosh, like this drill just got harder just by holding on to this tennis ball. So now and, you know, I, I learned a lot of these things from P.E. just working on hand eye coordination and things like that. So now I'm integrating things that we do in P.E., crossed over to strength and conditioning. And now we're combining the two. And now kids are seeing, OK, we're doing this drill and it's getting easy for me because I'm mastering the movement and then now we're adding a tennis ball and now I'm being humbled and going back down to level one because now you know I'm worrying about this upper body stimulus so much that I'm minimizing what I'm doing with my lower body so we talk about um, I like doing like the skiers so we'll snap down to a single leg and then we'll do our skiers jumping to our you know snap down on the left leg jump to our right jump to our left well the kids get you know, get good at that, where instead of doing a single response where they jump left to right and they hold it, I blow one whistle, they jump left to right, right back to left and hold it. Well, once they master that, I toss them a tennis ball. Now you got to pass the tennis ball in the direction that you're going. Now you get that, you know, 
that automatic feedback as far as, hey, are you jumping the same distance every time with that tennis ball? If you're not, that means we're not maximizing what we're doing with our lower body because we're worried about the stimulus that our upper body is now you know, giving us. So that ties back to that sport performance. If you're on the basketball court, you can be the fastest person, you know, um, baseline to baseline. But if you're dribbling a ball and now you're the third fastest person, well, how do we work on speeding you up? So that way you can be the fastest person on the court, whether you're dribbling, whether you're defending somebody um, or whether you're just sprinting down the court. So it's just little things like that, that I've learned um, to incorporate. So that way, again, hey, why, what do we need tennis balls for, right? My AD asked me, what do we need tennis balls for? I was like, well, there's different hand-eye coordination things I like to do. Um, I like to add the tennis balls into the agilities and the things that we do. And I got a great AD, gets on Amazon and now I have a hundred tennis balls, right? Uh, in, a, in a big old bag, in a big old laundry bag that I can use. And so just doing different things like that and just tying it all together, that's where, you know, the rhythm and flow comes from. I like that concept of, reinforcing sport performance cues in the weight room and, and in drills that uh, they really connects what you're doing on the training side to what's happening on the field at practice or during games. Mm -hmm. I really like how you uh, key in on the language of what you're doing. I, you know, I think that relates to quality teaching. And there was a time when all strength coaches go back to the early days were, were PE teachers and that's not always the case anymore. But, yeah. you know, in, you know, as the pendulum swings and education changes, you know, we often focus as we should on strength and power, but we have to be careful not to do it at the expense of coordination, balance, footwork, quality movement. Uh, and, and I, I just really like how you bring all that together. I thought it was a great session you gave us uh, at, at the conference, really appreciate you. you being a part of it. And, uh, you know, you spoke to just the accountability of strength coaches within, uh, within a department with your athletic director. I want to ask you, you know, what are the biggest areas of growth you see in the profession of strength and conditioning right now? And also, what are some of the biggest challenges you see? Um, I think one of the biggest growth is, you know, I always tell people, like, as a strength coach, you should carry yourself as an exercise scientist, right? Because there is a science to what we do. And I think when you start to get away with that, away from that, um, I think that's when outsiders kind of creep in and start to throw stones as far as like, well, why are we doing this? This doesn't make sense. So I think that one of the biggest growth is I've seen, whether it be via Twitter and the content people put out, or whether it be just interacting and talking with other coaches, um, people are really breaking down the science and the and the why and having that why um, to whatever it is they do. And I think that that kind of safeguards us as strength coaches, um, you know, when it comes to, hey, why are we doing this? Well, we're doing this because I feel like this is an important, you know, key to athletic success. And I think oftentimes when you present it to a sport coach or an athletic director or whoever, you know, that, that you're training, I think it makes it difficult for them to say, no, nah, we're, we're, we're not doing that. Um, we're going to, we're going to go old school, you know? And I think that when you look at like conditioning, especially, I mean, I remember when I was in college, it was the 16, one tens um, was, was the go-to for conditioning. And then I got to incarnate word and it was like, Hey, we're going to do tempo runs. Like tempo runs like, yeah, you know, we're going to mimic the energy system that we use in football, football play last, 
six to eight seconds. The time from the, the play starts to, you know, or sorry, the play ends to the next play is about 30, 35 seconds. So now we're going to work that same energy system um, that is utilized in football. And then it's like, okay, so we're, we're going to have extensive tempo runs on one day and intensive tempo runs on another day. And, it, you know, it just, you get away from the, this is how we've always done things. And you get into the, um, you know, this is the science behind what it is that we're doing. Um, I think, you know, as we, you know, grow as a profession, I think one thing that, you know, we have a, a challenge of is just getting people to see and understand, you know, the knowledge and the experience that we have and why we do what we do. Because, you know, and I've experienced, you know, at my job um, where coaches were just accustomed to the weight room is where we grind, right? And just educating that, look, if we grind these kids every single time they're in the weight room, you know, I, I use the analogy, we're going to push them up the hill, but we don't want to push them off the cliff. So yeah, we're going to push them up that hill, um, push them up that mountain. But then once they get to the edge, it's up to us to make sure that they don't fall off. And so I think one of the uphill battles we have is just getting coaches and, and those involved outside of strength and conditioning um, to understand that there is a science to it. There is a rhyme and a reason to what we do and that, some days you might be in the weight room or you might be outside for a conditioning session or maybe a change of direction and it might look easy and that's okay, right? Um, you might go a full week where, man, we, you know, the kids, they barely broke a sweat and, you know, nobody's, you know, they're over here doing extra stuff after because they're not, they're not tired from their training session. And it's like, well, yeah, because the intent of what we were doing wasn't meant to quote unquote crush them. Right. And so I think that we still have ways to go and just bringing everybody in to see our perspective from a strength and conditioning coach, because I think a lot of coaches look at the extremes of, hey, it's the fourth quarter and we need we got to be the most mentally tough team. We got to be the most conditioned team. And the only way we're going to get that is if we bring them in the weight room or take them outside and we crush them because that's when it's going to show. And it's like, yeah, but you can get there with a little bit of finesse. You can get there with, um, you know, with those deload weeks or those deload, you know, training days and you can accomplish that. And so I think that that's a, a uphill battle that we'll, we all will continue to, to fight. But I think that when we carry ourselves like an exercise scientist and we, educate the coaches around us and we have that why, I think we can kind of close that gap because ultimately um, it's about the kids, right? I mean, we can sit up here as strength coaches and say, my program's the best and the, the sport coach can say, I'm the greatest coach ever. But if the kids don't believe in themselves and they're not confident in their abilities, my opinion doesn't matter. The sport coach's opinion doesn't matter because we're not getting the best out of that athlete. So um, I would say those are probably probably things that, you know, as time goes on, more education is put out there, more coaches have those conversations. And and then, like I said, like with my athletic director, um, coaches that are like, hey, I'm not an expert in this. You are. Educate me. I think obviously with my knowledge and experience, I tell people all the time, I wouldn't have the success that I'm having right now at my school if this job was offered to me three years ago, um, even maybe even two years ago, just because, you know, I'm able to see, hey, they don't need a lot to be successful. And 
we don't always need to grind to get better. So I think, you know, just having the sport coaches and I know there's a, a trend now, especially in, you know, professional football where we're trying to get those 33, 34 year old coordinators to come be the head coaches. Those are the ones, you know, that are, that are my age that, you know, maybe went through those grind house grind sessions that are kind of like, yeah, that, that training didn't really help me. And then you get another strength coach and they're like, yeah, we're, our training is, if you want to call it modern, is modern where we're combining the, you know, the analytics and the science with the training. And I think as we merge those two together and, you know, some of the uh, old school mentality coaches start to, you know, phase out, I think that we'll, we'll be able to bridge that gap. Oh, man, that's awesome. Love that perspective. Appreciate you being with us today. If there's anyone listening in who wants to reach out, get connected, learn more from you. What's the best way to do that? Twitter. Uh, I try to be active on Twitter. Sometimes I get on my little Twitter rant. Uh, um, and just that's one way I connect to, to people. I mean, I've had people that I don't even know, never even met, and they DM me and they say, hey, you know, what's your opinion on this? Or what do you think about that? And I've had several people, you know, reach out to me. I've made several friends. I've met people that I've had Zoom Zoom calls with that are like, hey, I just want to talk to you about programming. And um, I think as a strength coach, we, we're we all in this together. Um, and I think that when we can share knowledge and experiences, then we can help make each other's lives easier. So, you know, on Twitter, it's The Croc Show um, on Twitter. And that's probably the, the best way to follow me or, and, and, you know, things that I put out and you know, sometimes I see, you know, videos of something and it just sparks an idea or, a, you know, something that I can start a conversation with and I just put it out there and sometimes it takes off and I get hundreds of people reacting to it or, you know, a couple of people messaging me about it. And, you know, for me, it's like, hey, if I can, if I can help one coach with one tweet, then I feel like I'm, I'm helping make the profession better just because, you know, in, in nowadays, uh, you know, we don't have to, to go to the library to get, you know, strength and conditioning books. I mean, you can get PDFs and you can get on YouTube channels. You can listen to podcasts and things like that. So I think that's probably the best way to connect to, with me. And, you know, sometimes I don't have the answers or may not have enough knowledge about, you know, an opinion somebody asked me. And I'll say like, hey, look, I'm, I don't know. Um, check this guy out if you, if you want, you know. So I would say Twitter is probably the best way. Uh, to get a hold of me. That's Elton Crochran, strength and conditioning coordinator at Randolph Field School District, San Antonio, Texas. Thanks for being with us. Thanks everybody for tuning in today. We'd also like to thank Sorenex Exercise Equipment. We appreciate their support. Hey everyone, this is strength and conditioning coach Scott Caulfield. You just listened to the NSBA coaching podcast, one of the best sources of information about the strength and conditioning profession. If you're new to this podcast and you want to learn more, subscribe now to always get the latest episodes delivered right to you. This was the NSCA's coaching podcast. The National Strength and Conditioning Association was founded in 1978 by strength and conditioning coaches to share information, resources, and help advance the profession. Serving coaches for over 40 years, the NSCA is the trusted source for strength and conditioning professionals. Be sure to join us next time.